Why don't you turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're uh, moving along in this study actually. We're looking at verse 40 down through verse 47. Uh, today we're looking at 44 and 45, verse 44 and 45. We uh, basically have two more uh, Sundays that we'll be dealing uh, with this passage. Uh, and then we'll be into the Easter time. And I think we're going to take uh, a, a break from the uh, study. Uh, when this ends, we will then be moving into Palm Sunday. And we will be moving into Easter Sunday. We're really excited about Easter Sunday, 6.30. I want you all at the square at 6.30 in the morning. Whoa, it's going to be a time. We are praying for the movement of the Spirit of God at the heart of the city. We're calling at the risen Lord at the heart of the city. And uh, be an Easter sunrise service at... Um, at the square, and uh, we're just anxious for uh, all that God wants to do during that particular time. So be praying, please be praying about that, and uh, we're expecting uh, the overwhelming uh, presence of God. So today we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 44 through and for, verse 45. Uh, here's the way we're going to approach this, um, so I hope this will make sense to you. I'm going to give you a proposition, the uh, concept I want to give you the idea. Uh, it is an overwhelming idea. There's an overwhelming concept being presented to us. Then we're going to apply it to the passage. So the concept is there, but you've got to understand the concept if you're going to understand the passage. Of course, the application and what he's talking about in the passage is money. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> materialism. He's talking about materialism. Uh, the whole passage is about materialism. They sold their possessions, goods, divided among all who had need. What does that mean? You've got to get the concept or you don't understand that. You can twist that. You can, uh, hey, give me $50. Uh, make it more. Uh, so you can twist that and get it all out of whack if you don't get the concept. So the concept really, really, really matters. Uh, let's begin reading at verse 40. Chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles." Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any one had need. Pentecost has happened. The fullness of the Spirit has taken place. A phenomenal sermon has been preached which explained it to uh, three to 5,000 Jews. These 3,000, at least 3,000 of those Jews, he said, have accepted, have bought in, have given themselves have made such a radical transition in their thought process that we call it repentance. They've turned from the old thought and embraced a new thought. They've come out of crucifying Christ into, oh, He's the Messiah, and He's actually come to live within us. And they've literally embraced Him. This was so radical that they were baptized in His name, which stated for their whole world, for their culture, who was against Jesus, stated for their whole culture that they had been added to the body of Christ. So now we got 3,120 of these disciples. 
they were continually uh, in a state of being, and that state of being of intimacy with God began to spill into several aspects of their life. He's describing that in this passage. These are not rules. This is not a program. We'll all get into that program. No, it's a state of being. The state of being happened to flow into the apostles' teaching, which was all about focusing on the resurrected Jesus. Not the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Have you got that distinction? See, it's one thing to celebrate His resurrection. It's another thing to embrace the resurrected Lord. So the apostles' doctrine and teaching was consistently, constantly, oh, he's alive and you can get in on on it. It, He's alive and you can embrace him. Oh, he's alive and you can know him intimately. Oh, he's alive, he's alive, and you can know him, live with him. He can indwell you. Oh, he is alive. That was their message. Now, that spilled into an enterprise. They had felt the idea of fellowship, you remember, was an enterprise. Business, doing business. So they began to get in on the heartbeat, the enterprise, the business, the launching, the wonder of what God was wanting to do in their day. And they gave themselves to it. In the breaking of bread, at the close of the breaking of bread, the suppers that they had was the cross. So they began to see everything through the eyes of the cross. And, of course, they were constantly in the attitude of prayer, praying without ceasing, practicing His presence, living in the flow of who He was. Now he says, I want to add one more thing to that, verse 43. The fear came upon. It's not terrorized fear, but it's that passion of, whoa, wow. They begin to live in that. How could we have been here? Now we are here. How could God have forgiven us? How Don't you just walk around saying, whoa, I'm forgiven. <laughs> Can you believe it? God has forgiven me. Every rotten, stinking thing, all the stuff I've done, man. Everybody I've hurt. Can you believe this? God has absolutely forgiven me, and I am reconciled to his heart. How could I ever get over that? Well, you say that happened 95 years ago. It's like it happened yesterday. Oh, thank you, Jesus. How could, whoa, wow, how could you ever get over that? They lived in that. In the meantime, there were some phenomenal things taking place in verse 43. Wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, which we talked about last Sunday, and had all things in common. Now, verse 44 is two sentences. If you look at the Greek language, there are two distinct sentences being presented to us. One sentence is, now all who believed were together. And again, we dealt with that last Sunday. Now we want to deal with the beginning of, 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 of uh, ver- the end of verse 44, which carries through into verse 45, which is the second sentence. And had they had all things in common. Oh, this is so awesome. They had all things in common. Some of the most insignificant words that we just gloss over biblically become, oh, outstanding. That's true with this passage. You've got to see this. The Greek word is the verb had. They had is a translation of one Greek word. It's echo. And it's translated had. And we use the word had all the time and it's no big deal because it's a small word and we just, we use it so commonly. And it's used commonly in the scriptures as well. 
It's used 700 times in the New Testament. In this passage, it's in the imperfect tense, which tells you that it's the idea of keeping on. So it isn't just they had for a moment. I had a good time last night. No, that's not this word. This is I'm continually, always, whatever I'm having, I'm continually and always having. It happened in the past and it's continuing into the present. So this is just keeping on all the time. That's the emphasis of the word here. As you also look at the word, it's in the indicative, which means it's not up for argument. It's a simple statement of fact. Not trying to convince you anything. Not trying to argue. Giving a testimony. Whoa! Just making a statement to you, a statement of fact about what's going on in my own life. The actual Greek word echo that's translated had here literally means to possess and, and or own. you to get that in your mind. Possess and or own. So this is a strong word. This is not just have like an emotion. This is to own something, to possess, to control, to embrace, own or possess. Now, the amazing thing about the gospel is that we, uh, that scholars have called from this passage and others as well, that the Christian faith is a religion, a having religion. Out of all the religions of the world, ladies and gentlemen, out of all the belief systems that exist, there is only one, only one. (laughs) There's so many things that are only one. But it is only one. Christianity is the only one that professes, proclaims, that you can embrace and have a having religion. This word is used throughout the New Testament. And if we had lots of time, I would just walk you through, but I'm just going to list some of these and you can write them down and look them up yourself. John's Gospel talks about having this word, possessing, owning eternal life. All the way through the Gospel of John, the, the eternal life thing is not talked about in terms of a hope. It's not talked about in terms of a dream. It's not talked about in terms of, won't it be wonderful? It's not talked about in those terms. It's talked about in have, got, experiencing, we are in eternal life right now. How do you know you're going to live forever? Well, that's what I'm doing now, man. Eternal life is my possession now in Jesus. Woo! Well, what happens when you die? Man, I'm graduating to a whole new level. (laughs) And what I've already experienced in the eternal life that he's giving me now is not going to end and I'm going to get a new life. No, it's an extension of what I've already got. That is so absolutely biblical, so absolutely forcibly biblical, so absolutely, I mean, the depth of the truth of that is so significant. We have eternal life. John chapter 5, verse 42, talks about we have God's love. Possess, master, got a hold of, own the love of God. God's love has become our possession. That's awesome. 
In John 16, verse 33, we are told we have peace. Again, not a hope that we're going to get, not something that we sometimes have, sometimes lose, sometimes, no. We have it, man. We possess it and we own it. John 17, 13, the grace of God is that which we have. It's not floating out there. Wish I could find it. It is, whoa, I possess it. I own it. It is mine. The grace of God. Isn't that phenomenal? John 18, 12 is the light I own. I possess the light of God. I no longer walk in darkness. I'm not stumbling around, although I'm awkward. I am, I literally have the light of God in my, I own the light. I possess the, I have the light of God. John 3, 15, life. I have the life of the divine. I possess it. I own it. It's in me. Now, the most phenomenal in this list, and the list just goes on and on, is, and this is what Christianity is so unique on, folks, I have God. Now, this is going to sound strange to you. I own and possess God. <laughs> that is an awesome thought. Isn't that radical? Makes you just want to cringe, doesn't it? To even say it. That I possess, possess, possess. Own is really a strong term. I possess and own God. Now, I want, I want to give you two verses on this. Then we're going to come back to them, but I'm trying to walk you through something. I want you to get this concept. 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. Listen to this. Look at it on the screen. Read it yourself. Get this. Whoever denies the Son does not have, that's our word, echo, does not have the Father either. But he who acknowledges the Son has, echo, possess, owns the Father also. I acknowledge Jesus. I now own the Father and own Jesus too. Possess. Strong. First John, or second John, verse 9, he says. Listen to this. Look at it. Get it in your mind. Get the concept. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have, possess, own God. Oh, listen to this. He who abides in the doctrine. What's the doctrine? Well, we dealt with that with the apostles. It's the teaching. What was their teaching? It was the resurrected Lord was their teaching. That was their total teaching. Not the resurrection as an event. It went happened. No, the resurrect. He's alive. He is alive. And you can embrace him. That's the doctrine. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ owns, possesses, has, echo, both the Father and the Son. You have God. And 
And ladies and gentlemen, I would propose to you, if you have him, what else could you want? It's like, good night, what am I going to get you for Christmas when you already have everything? What else could you possibly, possibly need if you own, possess him? So the concept of have is the idea of own, possess. And there's all these things through Jesus that we have. Life, peace, grace, love, all of these things are ours. But the climax of it all is that the scriptures tells us we have, own, possess. Now let's work on the concept, because you didn't get it, but let's work on it. The concept of God having us is not hard for us. We all buy into that. God owns everything. Oh, I know. God owns you. Well, I know. God possesses you. Well, I know. He has everything. I know. He's big. God owns everything. We have no problem with that. God has echoes us. That's no problem. For instance, Isaiah 43, 1. It's on the screen. But now thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he formed you, O Israel. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. So the Old Testament teaches us what? That God owns Israel. Israel was a possession. Israel was a was a territory. Israel was a portion. Israel was a was a was a son. Israel was owned, possessed by God. No question. Isaiah 1, 2, and 3. Thought this was really interesting. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Anybody experienced that? <laughs> Let's back up. <laughs> Strike that. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. They had forgotten who owned them. The New Testament teaches this same thing. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Trying to give you a concept. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have echo from God? And you are not your own. For you were bought at a great price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He says, who gave you your body? God did. Who gave you the breath to breathe? God did. Well, I got up this morning and I went to work and I earned this money. Who gave you the ability to get out of bed? God did. The tone of the whole New Testament and Old Testament is, we are owned. Um, favorite story I grew up with as a kid. Uh, told it to the class a uh, few, mo- few months ago. 
uh, kid's story. My dad used to tell it all the time, bring the kids up and tell up this story. Uh, this boy and his dad got together, and the uh, boy helped the dad. The dad helped the boy, and they uh, made a sailboat, worked on it night after night after night, something to do together, made this sailboat. And oh, it was all carved, and they made it special and studied designs and did, did all this. And, and came time to make the sail and did that special and had the mast and did all that. And came time to paint it, and oh, it was spacely painted, and they named it, and it was a big deal. So he had this lovely, beautiful sailboat. Oh, came the day to launch it. Oh, it's so phenomenal. So on a Saturday afternoon, down by the lake, man, they launched that sailboat, put a string on it. That sailboat, the wind caught it. Out it went. It's beautiful. The boy played with it and played with it. It was something all afternoon. It was a great day. The boy took it out time after time on his own, took it down by the lake. Hey, it was a beautiful sailboat made by this boy. He owned it. He owned it. His own hands had carved it. He had painted it. It was his. He owned it. It launched out. He had the string. It was beautiful. One day the string broke. His sailboat just kept going. Broken heart. Went home not knowing what to do. Lost his sailboat. He grieved for a couple of weeks. One day he was walking by the store, a pawn store, pawn shop. There was his boat in the window. He went into the store. That's my boat. Son. That's my boat. I made that thing. I own that thing. That's my boat. Son, somebody came in. I paid money for that. That's my boat! Son, here's what it'll cost you to get your boat. He didn't have that money. He went home. He worked. He mowed yard. He begged his dad. He did everything he could do. He saved. It took about three months. He scraped together that money. He went back to that pawn shop owner, gave him the money. He looked every day to be sure nobody had bought it. He went into that store. Oh, he's got the money. He laid that money down on the counter. He took his boat in his arms. He stomped out that store, and he was walking out the store. He said, I own you twice. I made you, and I bought you. Is there any question at all today of the overwhelming, can you question at all the overwhelming reality? You are owned. You are owned twice. He made you and he bought you back. You are owned. That's not hard for us. What's hard for us is I own him? How could that be? I did not make him. I did not buy him back. How could I possibly? When you own something, you have to pay for it. What have I ever paid? What have I ever 
even my best efforts, the Old Testament says, is filthy rags. What could I possibly ever pull off that say, God, I got you over a barrel now. You owe me one. How could I possibly own it? Keep the thought. Psalms 16.5 O Lord, You are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Nathan, in the scripture he read us today, had the word portion in it. Become meaningful to me just recently. Psalm 73, 26, listen to it. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. There's the word again. Forever. Forever. Psalms 119, 57. David said, You are my portion, O Lord. Psalms 142.5 I cry out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Well, what on earth is this portion thing? God, you're my portion. The Hebrew word for portion means a piece of territory. A territory. A piece of ground. A plot of ground. You get what he's saying? Even in the Old Testament, David is crying out, Oh Lord, I own you! I have you like a piece of territory. I have the title and the deed. That spills into a New Testament Listen to this. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. I want you to read it again now in light of all that we've said. Listen to this. Get this. Look at it. Whoever denies the Son does not have, echo, the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has, owns, possesses the Father also. Whoever transgresses, this is 2 John Uh, Verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have, own, possess, master, God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has, possesses, masters both the Father and the Son. What does that mean? I understand He owns me twice. He has made me and bought me back. How could you have the nerve to stand before a congregation and say, I, Stephen Manley, own, possess God. How could I ever? Think about it. Often in the scriptures we're taught, we are told that people are possessed by demons. The better way to state it is demons possess them. Never in the New Testament is there any indication. Think about this. Think about this. Never in the New Testament is there ever any indication that we ever own, possess demons. It's always they own, possess us. If you go to the devil, 
He will take you to the high mountain. He will show you all the kingdoms of the world. And he will say, I own them. Never are we ever told that we own them. Demons own us. Demons come and control us. Demons come and use us. Demons wear us out and throw us away on the garbage heap. Demons trap us. Demons, the devil, he's, he own. We become his possession. God, I'm his possession. But now, I own him. I possess him. How could that be? Because he has given himself to me. Let it sink in. We didn't have to. I know. Did you earn it? No. What'd you do? Nothing. How did you buy it? I didn't. How did you pull that off? I didn't. It's just that you've run into somebody who is so powerful and so overwhelming that he has not only made you, he has bought you back. And in the process of that, he has absolutely, totally given himself to you until you now can possess him. And he owns you and you own him. In the churches I was raised in, we always had a special number before the, before the sermon. And they sang this special number every other Sunday. Now I belong to Jesus. And Jesus belongs to me. <laughs> Not for the years of time alone but for all eternity. I didn't know it then, but that's good theology. Now I belong to Jesus. Woo! But wait a minute. It is an overwhelming truth to believe that Jesus belongs to me. given himself. Think of how vulnerable he's made himself. Think of the risk in him giving himself to you. Okay, Manly, got the concept? Okay, Manly, what on earth does that have to do with money? That's the passage. Look at it. Verse 44. Now all who believe were together and had possessed, owned all things in common, 
sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. What does God owning me, I own him, he possesses me, I possess him because he's given himself to me. What does that have to do with my money? My materials. Number one, in the passage, all is his. What? Is there any question about that? All is his. Well, that has to be, doesn't it? If God has, owns, possess me, then everything I own and possess is it. Clean up your room, young man. It's my room. No, it's not. It's in my house. And as long as it's in my house, I own you and the room. Does this ring any bells? <laughs> Been there and done that one. So if I'm owned by Him, possessed by Him, then everything I have is His. Now what the devil does, think about this, what the devil does is he isn't just interested in getting you drunk. He isn't just interested in giving you on pills. He isn't just interested in giving you to commit adultery. He isn't just interested in that kind of thing. Oh, that's fine, but that isn't it. If he can get you, fine, but that, that, no. What he wants to do is just shift your concept. If he can just shift your brain, just get you to think different, just get you to See, what he would have you think is, yes, God owns everything. He owns me. God owns me. But I own everything I have. And the minute you begin to think in terms of, I own everything I have, what I have is mine, you begin to think in terms of, well, yes, I'm obligated to God. And the issue becomes, how much should I give him? Old Testament says 10%. So I will take what I have, what's mine, and I'll give him 10%. And he should be glad. You follow on this? See, I've just made a shift. See, there's God. He owns me. But what I have is mine. And if it's mine, the issue is amount. And the minute you begin to talk amount, the minute you begin to talk amount, the minute you begin to talk amount, you're talking personal ownership. I give God 10%, I get 90. And he's lucky to get that. And the truth of it is, if all Christians would give 10% of their income to God, we'd have so much money we wouldn't know what to do with it. But it's still a wrong concept. 
So the devil just wants to come and make this make this shift. Shift. Well, if that's not the concept, what is the concept? God owns me, and therefore He owns everything I have. How does He want me to distribute it? Because it's not mine. You know what a relief is? Not to have any money. (laughs) And not to own any property. (laughs) Whoa! You don't have much to worry about, do you? (laughs) You know what a relief it is? To have a room? And to live in his house? And everything is owned by him. That's the concept. God owns everything. Therefore, everything I have is his. So all is his. Got to hurry. Look at the second one. All, in light of that, all is ours. All is ours. Ours. What they're talking about in verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them all as anyone had needed. He's not talking about communal living. What's our sentence? Verse into verse 45, into verse 44. Had all things in common. He's not talking about communal living. Some Bible scholars are proposing that what they did is they sold everything they had, all their homes, all their possessions, all their vehicles, all their everything. They cashed them all in, brought all the money in, put it in a big pot. They bought a great big warehouse downtown Jerusalem, and they all moved in. And then it didn't work, the Bible scholars say. It didn't work, so they never proposed that again. That is... It tells you plainly as you move into verse uh, verse, uh, 46 that they were breaking bread from house to house, which says they did not sell their houses. Come on. They did not sell their houses. No, that isn't what was going on. Well, what happened here? Great revival broke out. This was, what, 20 years ago in Korea? Phenomenal revival. And uh, in the movement of God throughout Korea... Uh, several families. It was this great big church, and the story uh, story came out of that church. One of the stories was that there were several families within the church through to the movement of God that God began to speak to them about their homes. And finally, God got through them about their homes that he that they should give their home to God, their house, give their house to God. So they worked hard, got the thing paid off, got the title, the deed, brought it in the pastor came to the pastor's study one by one. There's about six of them. One by one, they came to the pastor's study, put their deed, their title on the, on the pastor's desk and said, God told us to give our house to him and we don't know how to do it except give it to you. Give it to the church. All of a sudden, the pastor has about six houses on his hand. <laughs> now think of the ramifications of that. What am I going to do with six houses? You've got utilities, you've got upkeep, you've got... And then you got six families who have no place to live. This doesn't make any sense. But God told us to do it, so here it is. 
So after about a week of prayer, he called every one of the families back in. He said, this is awesome. God told you to give him your house. Yeah. You've obeyed, right? Yeah. I've prayed about it for a week, and God accepts your house. But he wants you to do one more favor for him. Would you live in it? Would you live in it for him? And he really needs somebody to keep up the utilities. Would you play the utilities too? Would you do that? And would you do the upkeep? Would you do that? Yeah, we could do that. Okay. But remember, it's God's house. And any time, under any circumstances, that he wants to use it, it would be okay. Yeah, because it's his house. Isn't that neat? Well, look what I got. Wait a minute. What if it's not yours? What if it's his? Well, somebody's got to put the gas in this vehicle. I know. Somebody's got to make the up- do the upkeep. I know. Somebody's got to pay the insurance. I know. But it's not yours. It's not your house. It's not your job. It's not your vehicle. Anytime he wants it. Thirdly, all is his, all is ours, all is needed. Now follow this. He is me. I have him. Do you know what that means? That means I have his heart. I have his heart. He is me. I have him. I'm feeling like he feels. I'm wanting what he wants. And in the passage, you'll note it says, they had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Had. Had need. Word had there is the same word, echo. Possessed, mastered, owned, a need. The word need is an absolute necessity. So here was a person who had an absolute necessity. I've got the heart of God. Here's a person with absolute necessity. What do you think that's going to mean? He has me, I have him, he has me, and I have his heart. And here's a person with an absolute necessity. Rich young ruler came running to Jesus. Said, I want life. Went through the commandments. I've done them all. Good for you. One thing you lack. What does it lack? Go and sell all you've got and give to the poor. Whoa, you mean i got to sell it? No. Come on, back off. Get the passage. When you go to the passage, he said, go and sell all you have. It's this word, echo. See, the problem is you have it. So all the people who don't have anything say, well, I'm off the hook because I don't have anything. It's those rich people. And you know who the rich people are? Somebody who has more money than I do. They're rich. 
Some people look at me and say, I'm rich. I look at other people and say, they're rich. Well, who is rich? This isn't about amount. It isn't whether it's 50 cents, man, or it's $500,000. The issue is not amount. The issue is you have it. You have it. You have it. You own, you master, you possess it. That's the issue. And the minute that happens, you don't have his heart. He owns me. Everything I have, he owns. It's not a mount. It's about his heart. I chose not to put this on the screen. I want to read it to you. And we'll close with this. Thank you for your patience. Sermon on the Mount. In our passage, by the way, in our passage, he's talking about a believer who has a necessity. I can buy that. I can buy that. Here's a guy who's given his life to Christ and he's growing in the faith and he's working in the church and he has a need. I'd be glad to help him. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about evil people. You have heard that it's said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You've heard that. I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you, take away your tunic, give him your coat on top. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him. with me give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you do not turn away I'm looking for the requirements Shouldn't there be requirements? Shouldn't should a guy have resume? And prove he really has a need? This is a simple statement of the heart of God within the believer. This is not a requirement. You don't have to do this. This is not a goal to reach. You don't have to do this. This is not 
Well, that's what the church requires? No, we don't require this. No. 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 There's no... This is not... No. This is not a law. Well, bless God, if you're going to be a Christian, here's one, two, three, and four. Number four is this right here. No, no, no. This is... God owns me. Therefore, He owns everything I am. And He has been so gracious that He's given Himself to me and now I own Him. And in the intimacy of Him and owning Him and He owning me, that sounds like love, doesn't it? That sounds like marriage, doesn't it? That sounds like two people, husband and wife, giving their lives to each other, doesn't it? And if I'm in that, if I'm into that, then I have His heart. And what's His heart? Jesus, wow. I haven't reached the end of this one. And what this means to my life and how this is going to play out. I haven't got time to judge anybody here. I haven't got time to keep track of what they do or don't do. Because God, this is not about them. This is about you and me, isn't it? And how I am going to get in tune with your heart. To feel like you feel. To sense what you sense. Embrace what you embrace. Heads are bowed. No altar call. Probably for 40-some years, I've preached several times a week and always had an altar call. No altar call. It's almost like I wouldn't want to defile the truth. It's almost like a rash decision. It's almost like This week, God, would you just... You own, possess me. I own and possess you. And you've given yourself to me like that. How does that play out? In all aspects of my life. Would you deal with me that on that this week? That this is not come to an altar and get it fixed. This is, 
would you deal with me? Would you deal with me? Would you teach me? I'm not going to do something crazy, God, like go out and sell my house and give the money away. I'm not, no. But would you deal with me? In fact, Lord, I don't own a house, so I'm off the hook. Would you deal with me? In fact, God, I don't have a bank account, so I'm, this doesn't, this doesn't matter, this doesn't matter. Could, would you deal with me? About what all this means to have you? Because you have so graciously, and the devil, he's never done anything for my life, but use me and possess me and throw me off on a heap. He's never done anything but destruction and ruin me and use me like an instrument for himself. He's never given himself to me. He's never loved me and given him. You, God, have not only owned me because you created me, you own me because you bought me back. And now in your overwhelming, gracious love, you have given yourself to me. And I have you. Surely this has to mean something in my job, in my finances, in my materialism, in my attitudes. What does this mean? Speak to me this week. In Jesus' name I pray.